What's happening? Uh, wait, uh, how long has it been since we recorded? It's been two weeks. It's almost two weeks today. Oh, in that case, nothing. Nothing's happening. <laughs> okay. Wow. Uh, anything <laughs> happening soon? Uh, no, no. No? No. No. Okay, I mean, well, let's uh, still, start the show. Still, Welcome to... <laughs> I'm still just chilling, like living the, living the mostly not doing much life because there is still a pandemic in my view and I do as little as possible. I, I mean, I, I did see case numbers were up, but we're, I think we're at 1 in 45 now. It was 1 in 50 last week. 1 in 45 is a crazy number. <laughs> it's, do you believe it's got to get to a point though where, I mean, at this at this point, for example, f- for all intents and purposes for my work, we are back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just essentially as normal. There are some clients who are doing and, and will continue to do online stuff. Yeah. But that's like your zero waste Scotland so and lots of government agencies. So you'd kind of expect them to be saving money wherever they can. Yeah. But everyone else is just like, all right, we're back. Back to, back to normal. I mean, I, th- I think everyone's back to normal, mostly because eventually crazy numbers become normal numbers because you've had you've experienced them for so long. And that's just, that's what's happened to everyone. Right, but we, we were at one in, one, one in eight or one in 10 at one point, which was, that was yeah, but we were scared it was it. like one in a million in the beginning. That's when the headlines kicked off. Yeah, but that was, that was like pre- Vaccine pre everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, I think if I, if boosters are more common eventually, maybe I'll be a bit more kid. But I've still not got my my second booster. Well, they were they were offering the why not? They were, they were like offering. I've not been offered. I keep I keep checking, and it's like no, you're not you're not allowed it yet. Really? You're not, oh, you're not allowed okay. it yet. Weird. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I've been banned. <laughs> they're like maybe they're tracking us, and they're only offering it to people who are going it. outside. Right, and they they figured this person. <laughs> Just not worth it. Low risk. Never sees anyone. No vaccine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so like... That's fun. Booster Booster 2 is was, was rolling out like for most people before it was even winter, right? No, I've still not got anything. Yeah, I, well, I think it was first of all going to like the oldest the people. Oldies, and I would yeah, comfortably yeah, yeah, say yeah, that yeah. you are yet to be in the oldies. Not quite there yet. Okay. Although, no, you know what did happen last week? Uh, did you go inside? Because we talked about it not happening. What? It snowed. It did. I know. Jinxed we it. We talked about how there's been none, and then immediately it happened. Yeah, yeah it's a shame because, for example, today uh, there's a uh, a gig that myself and my brothers are going to go to, and my older brother cannot make it anymore because of the snow in the Highlands. Oh, yeah, it's still snowy in Rubbish. some places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still, I mean, I don't know about you, but outside my window right now, it is still snowing. It's, 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 it's not lying, but it's snowing. Yeah, th- yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there is snow occurring. But it doesn't pass a check. <laughs> right. It might as well be slow rain. You were correct in that March does occasionally yeah. bring some of the white stuff. Oh, dear. And snow, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when everyone starts partying. In the snow. Hmm. Although I did see a report last week, and I listened to it on the radio, where okay. the ENT, ear, nose, throat specialists, yep. mm-hmm. say they have been inundated with people turning up for surgeries as a result of cocaine use. Yes. Yes, in Scotland. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge problem in our nation right now. The cocaine Which use... I was completely unaware of. No, yeah, there was yeah, someone yeah. who had to actually get a prosthetic nose fitted because their nose was so damaged. Yeah, yeah. You can you lose, your, you lose your, all your cartilage and stuff in your nose. Terrible. No, yeah. Cocaine use is... Uh, Nasty. Um, it's, it's huge. Uh, in, in Scotland, I'm pretty sure it's the same in England. Um, it's like the, the, the generational problem right now. And people are overusing... For sure. Uh, ...to a point of bad health. I had a couple of... I know two people, one of whom was, and still is, uh, doing very, very well, who then admitted to, well, certainly over the last few years, several years ago now, 
having a serious cocaine habit, and it really surprised me because was I it Sam? would never have considered that that was very much like the the go to thing for that particular industry. But apparently, it's rife, which was. I mean, I think it's all industries. Yeah, yeah. But but genuinely, like, I think we've asked this question before. Where would you start? Like, oh, I know who I would go to because I've now had these conversations. But yeah, that's the point. Everyone knows someone who knows someone, right? But you start by just asking the person you know who knows someone. But let's say, for argument's sake, for any FBI agents right. listening in, for argument's sake, how did you, if you're like, you know what, I want to side up, start up a side hustle, right? Uh, selling oh, no. some class A, <laughs> let's call them um, snow rain. Okay, I want to sell some some class A snow rain. Right. Where do I start? Yeah. How do I get that? You grab the. Cl- Colombian yellow pages, and you just start looking for the numbers that are missing. Right. Call those. Read between the lines, basically. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Call up a Colombian and take it from there. No, call up an unknown number that is missing from the public pages. Okay. And take it from there. <laughs> Definitely less insensitive joke. Definitely. Because because I know there would, <laughs> I know there would be people out there who have the connections, they know where to go. But for little old me. Honestly, wouldn't have a clue. I'm sure I could get my hands on some, but if someone was like, hey, Colin, times are tough, man. Got to start getting into this uh, snow rain business. We've got, start, we've got to start a business, Colin. We're going to be the bad people. We're going to be the evil people this time, okay? And you're like, yes, Well, let's do it. We'll be the evil yeah, ones. Yeah, I, it's, it's a totally... It's a total tangent, but doing the doing the bad things and charging lots of money. I was asked this week, uh-huh. but this is a good. It's a good thing, but I felt bad for charging lots of money. I was asked this week okay. to take some voice coaching for uh-huh. eleven broadcast journalists in Scotland. Okay, for an organisation who shall remain nameless, but you've only got a choice of two, so that's uh, <laughs> uh. uh, yeah, fifty-fifty. But. What was really it was really nice that you know they thought of me and they came to me and were like, "Hey, can you teach our journalist to to be and sound better?" I said, you "Sure." To teach you to talk good. Wow, you're gonna have to pay us a lot of money, but sure. And yeah, in the in the moment, you used to have those slight moments where you think you're paying me a lot of money to do this. Yeah. do I, I? I feel bad. Yeah, am I worth this much money? Yeah, yeah. guess so. But you see, it isn't drugs. It's not harmful to the people that you're de- supplying. <laughs> right. So it's not elite. It's voice coaching. It's less harmful. Maybe, maybe it makes yeah. people question themselves a little bit much and it could impact their mental health. But who knows? You have to use your nose less with uh, voice coaching. So there's that. Wait, what? Well, if I was sell, I mean, never mind. It wasn't even funny. Oh no! It got, I thought you were like making a specific note about nasally voices. No, no, no. I see where you're going. No referrals. Yes. Thanks. It's always funnier when jokes are explained. Mm, uh-huh. The biggest issue I find is people who attempt to sound like what they think journalists sound like. So they're, they're kind of sing-songy, £500,000. So everyone on the radio. This investment will transform the A9. So everyone on the radio. Right. Whereas you just have to talk to people. You just have to be conversational and say, "Yeah, this upgrade is going to cost half a million pounds. It's going to make a big difference to the A9. Way better. Way better. Yeah, you convinced me. But... Instead, it's like, and it's difficult to do because I used to do that too. You just did it. To the extent that it's now just the way I speak. (laughs) I speak like, for example, Graham has now now refers to me sometimes in third person as Shouty Man, man, which was a CBeebies character 
or CBBC character from yesteryear who basically was an impersonation of a journalist. Yeah, yeah, and this yeah. shouty man character would turn up in, in various periods of history and say, Hello, I'm a shouty man from Egypt. Right, yeah. In today's century, the we discovered tombs and mummies. Uh, and this is now my caricature. I am now shouty man. Yeah, so yeah. people were paying to learn how to be shouty man. Or, or actually unshouty man. Yeah, yeah. They were learning from uh, ex-shouty man how to not be Correct. shouty man. Because we've learned that maybe shouty man isn't the good way to do it anymore. Right. But I still find that when we are in, out in public, mainly out for dinner, that I just go straight back to shouty man. So I would like to have... Do you reckon it's an anxiety response? Do you think it's a, like a... Uh... I don't know. Uh, an, uh, disc- an uncomfortable uh, calling no, no, kind no. of a thing. Like, I'm uncomfortable, so I'm going to I'm gonna put on my caricature. Because it is just the way I speak. Like, this is how, if we went out, went out for dinner and I was getting into it, this is how I speak. It's rather than it being like a performance, this is just me, except right. at, at, at 100. If we were having, like, I don't know, okay. a cigar and it was late at night, then it's going to be far oh, more chill. But that, when you speak to me gen- generally and we're having, like, a very deep conversation this is typically how i sound so part of that i think is just being so hardwired into broadcasting all the time that this is just my default uh-huh. delivery but i can like oh. i can turn it up and down but this Do is you need somebody to follow you around and be like all right that's a wrap <laughs> no like once they realize you're shouting man they just they, they just cut the camera what they need is they need to have someone who, who does the audio visual the oscars and start playing orchestral music to get me to shut oh yeah 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 uh, or 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 dancing you off stage <laughs> i did have a, a former partner of mine describe going out for dinner with me as like being part of a tv interview it is a wee bit like that he said he said going out for dinner felt like he was being interviewed you do a little bit you do that a little bit I don't mean to do it. It's just literally the way I find out information. I'm like, so hey, tell me, tell me about your day. What's it's been how happening? you've learned to communicate with people? Yeah, and then suddenly it's all right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the microphone? Oh wow, look at that! It is uh, five thirty, and I've got another appointment in two minutes around the corner. See you later. Put that long pointy stick away. Wow, works over. Really? Yeah. Well, but yeah. So, so that's what's been happening. <laughs> that's what's been happening here, rather than oh wow for FBI people listening selling any oh, sort yeah. of no drugs. illicit goods, no evil distribution to innocent users. Yes, I am simply selling my self in a different way and teaching people how to do it in a slightly slightly different yeah yeah yeah. But but the awkward thing is, well, it's not awkward, but. Two of the people who are coming along to our next session, I used to work with. Right. So, do you think they were better than you or worse than you when you used to work with them? That's. I would choose a different word. Do you think that, do you, as far as using shouty man voice or not, they were on the on the on the on a on a you need to teach them end of the scale or they need to teach you end of the scale? We could learn from each other. How about that? <laughs> oh, about that? Look at that! You've been to your own courses. Uh, I need to attend. Yeah, I need to attend my own course. Just to hear what I say, <laughs> but actually, I did I, to give myself some credit, which you know I don't do a lot of. Um, that was ironic. That was a joke. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> that actually, I had more to say than I thought. Okay. In terms of analyzing their okay. performance, because I thought I would just say, "All right, you get d- lower the tone, slow down, you're perfect." But there was loads of stuff that I could add. Say, "Oh, put in a small pause there," or, or "Look at the wording of the sentence. You can make that far punchier. You can make it. You can convey intrigue to the audience Whoa. just with where you take your tone." And even when I'm saying, I'm like, "Oh, Colin, you're good. You're very good." <laughs> I hope I hope that without you realizing that one of those little inner sentences got said out loud and everyone just ignored it. 
but they all heard you say it. I, I did one of those things that you're referring to, which we call, or I call, thought bubble versus speech bubble. And yep. it was something which mm-hmm. should have just been a thought bubble, but it, it ca- speech became bubble. a speech bubble. Okay. And we were doing a session with a, a, a Scottish council, uh-huh. and they wanted to practice, so media training, they wanted to practice a scenario where they are closing a public toilet because they want to put more money into the existing ones. And this one is is used very infrequently. Okay. And so after lots and lots of advice, in their second interview, the guy did great. He said, yeah, we're going to close down this one. We're really sorry about that. But that means that our existing toilets in this coastal town will be cleaner, newer, more modern, better lit. They'll be safer. They'll be nicer places to be. And I was really pleased about this. All from one toilet being shut down? That's impressive. So what I said to to them in the feedback is, that oh, this was great. You told us how modern it was, how light it was going to be, how safe it was going to be. Man, that sounds like the kind of place I'd like to (laughs) (laughs) As I said it. I was like, Colin, man, why? Why did you say that out loud? You just completely lost it. Idiot. Oh, my. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're going to say anything, it's got to be something funny at least, right? Rather than Uh, insulting. And and the most, as we often say, and this is a a free course at the moment, you're getting lots of tidbits of advice. The the most common thing we say when people use humor in interviews or presentations is the humor needs to be self-deprecating because as soon as you start making fun of something else or someone else, there will be someone who has a stake or or some sort of interest in that place that you've just offended. And I learned this last week because we were talking about, with a a company, Inverness Airport train station, which is brand new, and it's serving the people of uh, Tornagrain and the people of the airport. Okay. And uh, they were telling us in the interview, and what's so great about this this railway station is that it continues on, it, it goes into Murray, and it serves the people of Murray. And I was then reflecting this on the feedback, and I said, oh, and you did really well here. You told us about uh, the, the train station and how this new service uh, goes out to Murray. But, I mean, let's be real. Who wants to go out there? Ha ha. And as soon as, as soon as I said it, both of them were like, well, well we're, we both live there, and we, we quite like it. And, and all then you were like, like, and that was a that was a test, and you've noticed the, the, my mistake in in presentation, haha. <laughs> uh, right, and there's like, and seventy percent of our customers come from Murray, and as soon as they were, yeah, like the more they talked, the more I was like, Colin, my, why did you? St- That's a thought bubble, speech bubble moment. Just keep it to yourself. And it wasn't even funny. You did it. You've got to go uh, to your own courses. I know. Come on. Anyway, uh, other than that, I'm going to Iceland on Sunday, so that's fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, well, welcome to Seesaw Parade. <laughs> not, that, was, that was not an intended pun. I regret actually using the word cool because nice. it wasn't funny. Uh, I enjoyed it. It feels like it was a pun. I enjoyed it. Welcome to Seesaw Parade, episode, okay. I think, 308, but my phone's in my pocket because I'm holding a cup of tea. Oh. So let's guess it's 308. Is it 308? I, I don't even know how to check. Hang on. Uh, we'll find out. I'm Colin and James is over there. Totally is 308. Oh, nice. Good guess. Okay, well, welcome to the show. Scotland's longest running podcast where we just talk about stuff also we did have some feedback about our the way we started the last episode what, which how did was, we start the last episode we talked about fair trade coffee for about nine minutes excellent <laughs> right do you want to talk about more uh, and the, some of the feedback was where was all the funny hat chat where where was the light and breezy do you want to talk about Capitalism can always be light and breezy. Sometimes it needs to rain so that you can appreciate the sunshine. Yeah, you can't just always talk about how 
your courses are sabotaged by your own behavior. Did you know that for every one pound of coffee bean carried by coffee bean carriers in whatever country, <laughs> Nestle makes 86 pounds? Really? Well, I guess it's chocolate, but you know what I mean. It's comparable. But is that still, is that, like, accurate? Yeah, well, by the end of the process, the person who did, like, the labor is only getting one out of 87 quid or whatever. Yeah. That's terrible. There you go. There's, ah. a little sp- there's a little sprinkles. It was more sunny this time. There's your sprinkles. <laughs> there's a sprinkle of reality. I guess we did talk about cocaine habits. That's probably some sprinkles. Well, yeah, we did. And we talked about it with, like, some degree of seriousness. So that's... You know. Sorry. Okay, next time. Plain shade. Only sunshine. Sorry. Okay. Only rainbows in this show. <laughs> See the the left leaning wokarate that we are. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> give, give us all the flags. Uh, I'm sorry. I mean, oh personal person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. Cease operate at cease operate on Twitter. Cease operate at gmail dot com. That's right. Get in touch with us. We have had some of you get in touch, and we also have a listener review. Thank you this time yes. to ML, who is yes. sending us a review of the show that we she watched on Netflix, which was a very good review. But I forgot what it's called, so you'll have to listen later. The show. Duh. The show is called Dead to Me. Dead to Me. That was it. I'll with- pretend that I didn't know that later on when we come back. I'll be like, oh, good idea. Cool. Christina Applegate, Linda Cardellini. It sounds fantastic, and you will hear what Amel thought of it later on. But we also have chats about, I did mention the Oscars earlier. We'll talk about the winners there. We'll also talk about the new Ant-Man movie, which I saw. I'm interested and intrigued <laughs> wow. to let you all know what I thought of that. Oh, but no. we also have, let's see, Boris Johnson, oh, SMP politics. chat, oh, Elon Musk, oh, Elon Matt Antics. Hancock, WhatsApps. But where better place to start than okay. Gary Lineker? Oh, excellent. Actually, interesting story, though. Have we ever talked about Gary Lineker on the show before? This might be a first. I don't, I don't think we have. Maybe we have. I wouldn't be surprised because he's, 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 okay. he's been in a little bit of a headline every now and then before, but nothing <laughs> like this. I know. Well, nothing to this degree. Actually, things kind of like this. Prepare your crisp-loving ears, Gaza. Does he still do those? Yeah, he still does those ads. Oh my, I don't watch adverts anymore, so I am out of sync with that. I went to I went to visit some friends, and there were some adverts on the TV, and it blew my mind. I was like, whoa. You're like, I can't skip these. <laughs> these are so, what is this jingle? And for, apparently this jingle had been getting used for like years, and it was really annoying, and I was just experiencing it for the first time. I, I was, I'm, I'm out of sync with ad culture in the UK. I, I appreciate some more ads these days than I used to. For example, there's a new uh, Hyundai advert which for the entirety of the advert just shows people butchering the name of what we used to call Hyundai, right. the car manufacturer. Yeah. And then and then basically people turning up to like Hi and Die, a, a clothing shop. Right. And then Highland Eye, huh. uh, spec savers in, in the Highlands. Uh-huh. And then at the very end, it's, oh, it's Hyundai. And Hyundai. so that was, you know, that's clever. I'll give you that. But the, to long story short, adverts suck. Well, yeah, they're doing their job. Which is being terrible. Okay. Gary Lineker. Yeah. Where to start? So, to actually give you some context here. Prepare yourselves. Let's talk about the government's illegal migration bill. <laughs> and this... I love that. That's the context for Gary Lineker. <laughs> Gary Lineker. <laughs> bad things have become. <laughs> people arriving on boats. Okay, so, according to the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, right. stopping the arrival of small boats is a priority yes. for the people of Britain. 
Right. And the Tories have been doing a great job of that for the last however many years, of course. It's right. not just increasing so, over time all the time. Yes, yes. So he made these comments defending the government's new asylum plan, which was announced last week, which is aimed at stopping any boat from from arriving on the coast of well, the south of England, really. Yeah. Uh, and rather than saying, look, it's not just me and the Tories, this is the priority of the people. The people. And the government then announced that anyone found to have entered the country illegally right. would not only be removed from the UK within 28 days, but also be blocked from returning or right. claiming British citizenship in future. Okay. And those who arrive in these small boats, if this bill passes, would either be returned to their home country mm-hmm. or another safe third country it says here in quotation marks, Does he name like any of Rwanda. Those? Oh, like Rwanda. Yes. So safe. Very safe. So, this was then, of course, the subject of much debate. Right. And Mr. Gary Lineker got involved. Now, for those of you who are unaware, Gary Lineker is the former English football player who, for the last, oh, 30 years, or maybe 25 years, has been fronting. British football coverage and primarily the face and the ears of UK football correct for a long time match of the day which is one of the biggest shows one of the most well-known shows in the in the BBC's calendar basically and so he then tweeted criticism of this new policy and compared it to the language used by 1930s Germany yeah which you know and people is accurate got very very angry. People being like... People. Some few people. <laughs> right. So, what then happened was after uh, lots of chat about said tweet, mm-hmm. Gary Lineker was then... It was then announced that he would not be presenting Match of the Day <gasps> this past Saturday. He was taken off air. He's got to be impartial. He represents the BBC, whose impartiality is key. Right. Because the BBC Director General, Tim Davey, said that his tweet had crossed their, essentially, their editorial guidelines. And so oh, of course, he was yes, yes. taken mm. off air yes. uh, until they came to a new kind of conclusion, and then mm. he would be back. But mm-hmm. what happened was, in solidarity with Mr. Lineker, all the other pundits began to boycott the show yep. too. So people who would have been there decided, like, actually, you know what? Like a strike or something. I'm not going to do it because that's... That's not cool. Lineker, I, Taking I someone off air yeah. for having an, uh, an opinion. And so what happened instead was on British television on Saturday and Sunday, the sports programming, uh, programming both on TV and radio was a shell of its former self. I believe match of the day was 14 minutes long <laughs> on Saturday. It was literally just goals. End of program. I mean, hopefully that's that's a lesson learned for people that is how much meat there actually is in the show. Uh, and it's mostly just <laughs> people talking. <laughs> Which, you know, if you're there for the people talking, good on you. That's why you're listening to this, I'm assuming. <laughs> okay, so then anyway, this continued, the, the talk continued. But on Monday, yeah, uh, it was announced that the two sides, Mr. Lineker and the BBC, had come to some form of uh, agreement. Oh, yeah. That agreement. an independent yeah. review of the BBC's social media guidelines would be carried out. And that Mr. Lineker was back. He will be back mm-hmm. on Saturday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to see if I can see his first line. He's, he's pretty good for his little cheesy, cheesy lines. Oh, absolutely! Um, that the opening line of the show. Yeah. Interested to see what that is. So there's a lot to to dive into here. And by the way, that summary I gave you there was about uh, the the briefest of what was a very yes. twisty and turny. Uh, few days for both Gaza and the BBC. But ultimately, it came down to this. 
was it the BBC's role to boot off a sports presenter for having an opinion about an illegal bill yeah. to because it breaks all sorts of human rights legislation. Were they were they right to boot him off for having an opinion on that that compared the language to 1930s Germany? Now, okay, let's we'll deal with the German part in just a second, but let's go with the decision first of all. Was that the right thing to do? And here's an edit, by the way. Content warning: we are going to talk about Nazis, fascism, and uh, yeah, some graphic videos that you would rather your children didn't see or hear about uh, is being shared by right wing people on social media. So. Just to let you know that's coming up. Okay, what did you make of it, James? To boot him from the show? No. <laughs> no. Like, there's, of course not. Like, and it, it, it is a good question because there have been in the past people who have lost their jobs for sharing opinions online that are hateful or intolerant. And is that just an opinion? Do you, should you get booted for those opinions? So there is like this line somewhere in this, like, what speech is acceptable when you represent your employers on the internet space. Right. Uh, and you've got to figure out what what crosses what lines. Um, I think generally comparing Tories to the Nazi, uh, to, to the rise of fascism in Germany specifically, doesn't cross the line of, like, intolerance or hate speech because it is being anti-hate speech and anti-intolerance primarily. And then also it's just sure. a valid comparison. And then... Also true. Maybe there are things you could say about Tories comparing them to Nazis that would cross a line. Like maybe if Gary Lineker came out and said, I reckon we should probably put to death all the Tories just like we did the Nazis. I reckon he'd probably lose his job and people wouldn't be so upset about it, you know? Right. Yep. So just on that point, okay, because there's two things to say. Number one, there is an excellent clip from, I believe, LBC, the uh, London-based radio broadcaster, where someone reads out the speech that Suella Braverman... Yeah, a very broad church broadcaster. I can never place them on the, <laughs> on the opinion scales. Right. They're, they're, they kinda, they've got a mix of, of opinions. They have the likes of James O'Brien, who's very... It depends very, on the presenter, yeah. ...very left, but then they'll have someone like Nick Ferrari, who is an idiot. So yeah. they... <laughs> So they've got a real range. Anyway, uh, there's a clip that they posted from a caller who reads out Suella Braverman's speech about this illegal migration bill. Yeah. And instead of using the word migrant, they use the word Jew instead. Yeah. And it's horrendous. Yeah. It's crazy. So go and check that out because it then lines up with the fact that when Gary is comparing this language to 1930s Germany, he is on to something. Yeah, it turns out one of the only differences is the the, the, the subject of the yep. language, you know, <laughs> migrant. Oh, wow. So it's a very valid and fair comparison. Yeah, and, and also it's the question of, and this is the one which, which really gets me, if Gary Lineker had tweeted in support of the bill oh, yeah. to say, hey, yeah. this is a good thing, Britain can <laughs> always d- do without fewer migrants, would he have been hauled in front of? There is, yeah, there's no way. BBC boards. Would he have been chucked off air? No chance. Like he could have used, he could use some strong, strong language about migrants and being in, in less, less worry over his job. You know, he could have been comparing migrants to inhumans, and he'd be, he would have been in less, less fear. And calling it an invasion. Yeah, and he would have been fine. And the other, the final part of this, um, is to compare the way that Gary Lineker has been treated over the last week to, for example, the treatment of, or the non-treatment of Andrew Neil. True. Now, Andrew Neil, for those of you who are unaware, is the editor, or certainly was, the editor of the right-wing newspaper, The Spectator. And for decades has led BBC political programmes. Yeah. Despite the fact he is a very open right-wing 
figure. Yeah. And will and has tweeted a lot of very right wing stuff. But has he ever been the subject of front page headlines? No. Has he ever been the top story in the news at ten on the BBC? No. Nobody ever questioned if he could be impartial because well, I guess people did, but they weren't relevant people. But like the BBC didn't question it, government didn't question it, nobody with any actual yeah. power questioned it because he had their views. They didn't want to question it. <laughs> okay, so we've we've agreed, and I believe the most rational thinking people in society agree that the BBC getting Gary off the show was the wrong decision to make. Yeah, and then as we've highlighted, we can see that this bill is essentially reminiscent or redolent Ooh. of uh, 1930s German language. Redolent being the word. Ooh. Yes. So then the, the question lies about the BBC's, uh, let's say, impartiality. I'm using my air quotes again. Uh-huh. Because this, to me, is the starkest indication yet that the BBC, as we have talked about a lot in the show, or hinted at, I should say, rather than explicitly said, is essentially the mouthpiece of the government at this point. Which is... Over many things, yes. The total opposite of what the BBC is meant to be. And this is the perfect example of it. Well, I guess the the thing that bothers me is that people and the BBC themselves seem to think that being impartial means to try and take a centrist opinion on every single talking point. When not all talking points have an impartial centrist opinion. Okay. We've talked about it before. We're in like, if you've got a hundred climate change deniers and a million uh, climate change uh, recognition scientists and experts, you know? Well, and, people who recognize the facts, yeah. Yeah. An impartial view is listening to the experts. That's just impartial. It is not taking one expert and opposing them with one crazy sure. conspiracy yeah. theorist, which the BBC tends towards that second version of impartiality where they want to represent both sides fairly, no matter how truthful both sides are. One side could be just using the truth and the other side could be making everything up. And the BBC goes, oh, well, I guess both sides have an opinion. That's not impartial. That is just platforming uh, uh, lies to a degree and, and deplatforming the truth to a degree. So... Okay. They've got this skewed view of impartiality, and in this case, they've wielded it um, in a similar way, wherein it is obvious and clear that the language being used is akin to the language of the rise of fascism so in just, many just different countries point, many different times. Just that point, Gary Lineker's tweet, to quote him precisely, he said this was an immeasurably cruel policy, Yeah, which it, well, is, it is, and then said the language used around it was not dissimilar. Yeah, to that used by Germany in the 1930s, which again is accurate. It's such a weak. He used such passive and weak language. He was very generous to them. Right. Right. It's not like he said, "You guys are a bunch of Nazis." He just said, "Look, the language is not dissimilar to what was used in the 30s in Germany." It's not dissimilar, and it's not. And the BBC should go and look at language in the 30s of Germany and go, "Oh, it is pretty much not dissimilar." <laughs> I guess our impartial view is that that's a valid opinion to have. That's impartiality. Right. O- on that point, we then have had in the last few days and even today in the House of Commons, uh, Labour's Shadow Culture Secretary Lucy. Powell said the events of the past week have exposed how susceptible BBC leadership is to government pressure. Yeah. And this week's sorry saga has raised serious questions about the government's role in upholding BBC impartiality. They've got their fingerprints all over it. And they do, because they've been putting people into the jobs and back and forth favours, and it's all recorded, and we know this. So it's just no surprise 
and hopefully we can fix the institution to some degree to 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 guarantee an actual representation of what it is to be a news organization that cares about right. the truth regardless of of political beliefs which you know impartiality again okay so there's two further factors before we actually talk about the bill itself because frankly in all of this as we've talked about a lot often these issues are ballooned to the coverage of every whether it's news program the website notifications to essentially hide right. what's actually going on in this case yeah. the actual bill yeah but no we should talk about it as we, we're now doing it ourselves we're now talking about Gary Lineker rather than talking about the bill but I do want to make yeah. two final points okay number one yeah. is the whole argument here stems from their their editorial guidelines for social media usage which some people, and yeah, I, I guess I could see where they're coming from, would say they're too ambiguous. Yeah. Because it's clear that if you are a journalist who works for BBC News, you are unable to post on social media yeah. political or social or whatever opinions because you're right. a journalist. Whereas the grey areas here were, look, if you're a sports presenter, if you are a flower show contributor, yeah, exactly. do what you like because you're not involved in the news. And that's where I would say, okay, fine, Gary Lineker's allowed to have his views and oh, yeah. we move on. But because he is such a well-known figure and the language he used obviously offended a lot of conservatives, including the Home Secretary, yeah. that's why it was made such a massive issue. Even though, if you look at the guidelines... What he said was, like, it fell within that, that like, gray area. It, it, yeah, it was within the guidelines. It was it, They were just bowing to some pressure, social or political or both. And it's a shame that uh, such a, a huge and influential, influential institution could bow to pressure when it was, when the, like, the guidelines were pretty clear as far right. as Lineker goes. O on that point, then, final point from me. The BBC Director General, Tim Davey, has now said there will be a review into these guidelines. Ah, a review. <laughs> Indeed. And he's denied accusations that the BBC had backed down over what they were demanding of, of Mr. Lineker. Of course, some people have now demanded that Gary Lineker's uh, license fee be saved. And in fact, there was even more of this uh, lack of impartiality at the end of Laura Kunzberg's Sunday show, where they were talking about the issue and the only um, they asked for viewer or listener feedback. And the only feedback they read out was negative, <laughs> rather than what seems to be the overwhelming majority of oh, positive man. feedback towards Mr. Lineker, which we saw both at the Leicester City yeah. football stadium on Saturday that he was at, but also online he's posted about it a lot. So, I mean, yeah. to, to me, the BBC's reputation has taken a big hit here. Yeah. And for people like me, who for a long time as a journalist would have stood by the fact that, yes, the BBC nah. are impartial and the BBC do what they can nah. to be as impartial as possible. This... <laughs> Sorry saga, as uh, we heard there from a Labour MP, has highlighted that actually, no, we've got to a point now where what the government wants the BBC to say or to report on is largely going to dominate. And that is a very sad and some unconcerning prospect. Yeah, and hopefully this is an awakening for people to recognise that potentially... On many different topics, the BBC is making editorial choices that are biased towards one view or another. If you watch any of their like question time or any other panels that they host surrounding like trans rights, for example, look at the look at how they stack the audience and the presenters. Do the same for 
uh, topics like Scottish independence back in the day, where in the pro-independence people were always complaining about the the lack of equality in the representation uh, on platforms and in audiences and stuff like that. The BBC has been doing these subtle things for a long time in the views of many people, and this is just another one. And it sounds like a conspiracy theory because you can't really prove it because it's a bunch of very different, not quite attached groups that are all being a little bit you know, diminished in, in the representation on the BBC. But eventually it's got to convince, convince you enough that there's a problem. Okay. Can we talk about the bill then? Because as we mentioned, or as I mentioned at the start of this topic, yeah, the plan is essentially that if you arrive on a boat, then too bad, you can't get in, you're blocked from ever returning, and you're blocked from taking or gaining citizenship. Yeah. Now, there's two points I want to make here. Number one, the UN's Human Rights Convention, with human, yeah, the UNHCR, yes. they have made it clear that refugees are entitled to arrive in a country by irregular means without documentation yep. and claim asylum. It is legal yep. for a refugee to arrive in the UK by small boat, provided that they then apply for asylum on arrival and their claim succeeds. That is... Yeah. The law. And what they're doing here would go completely against that. So what they're attempting to push through here is, ironically, as their own title suggests, illegal. Yeah. And it's not the first time the Tories have introduced bills that break some EU or global recognized like standard of human rights. Okay. And it won't be the last because they're going to keep doing these things. And I don't know why, because ultimately they're a dying party and these like well, immigration and culture war elements are going to hold them down eventually when, well, when people realize it is not the winning argument. So I do want to come back to that because I believe, well, in fact, I'll save that point for, for, for just a minute. The second point I wanted to make is, and this was touched on by some commentators last week, regardless of if this bill goes through, and last night it passed its second reading with every Conservative MP voting for it, if this bill goes through... What chance do the people who are actually coming to this country have yeah. of knowing that that's the law? Exactly. And the vast majority won't. They won't, they won't know that if they arrive in a boat, if this bill succeeds, yeah. that's it. You're screwed. And the reason why, and again, this has all been yeah. debunked. You can look at the facts of this. You, The UK takes something like a third of the amount of migrants that France, Spain, and Italy do. Yeah. Because those countries, people will often come to first. And if they're coming to the UK, it's because... Some of their wider family are here already, or perhaps they speak English. All these things that would make the UK a sensible choice to come to. And the vast majority of these asylum claims, something like 97%, are accepted. Yeah. So the huge issue here then for me is not so much about, oh, we must stop the boats, because the UK, we've used something like 1% of the available uh, like land mass that we have. 1% of the country's been built on. We have the space... We have, if uh, yeah. the as we've demonstrated through the pandemic, we have the money. So it, it is then back to the wording of Gary Lineker's tweet. It's this immeasurable cruelty that for whatever reason, yeah. we're just telling people, nope, you can't come in because we don't want you. Yeah, and my well, final the, point, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Final point. I believe, and we will see this if Kate Forbes is successful in her bid to be first minister. Yeah. I believe that the UK, but also Scotland, oh, yeah. is more conservative more. in its views than it lets on or than we'd like to think. And you touched on this last time. Yep. Maybe Scotland isn't this 
liberal uh, paradise that some people would like to uh, tell us that it is. And actually, people hear the likes of Kate Forbes and look, maybe some people, I'm sure, in fact, I'm certain some people have heard what Mr. Sunak have said, largely older people based on what LBC have been broadcasting and saying, you know what? He's right. We need to stop these migrants coming from Afghanistan and Syria and Libya yeah. and Ukraine because, the, yeah. because, you know, they ain't British. I would say these views, for the most part, never represent the majority of the UK. However, they do represent the biggest glob of people. So that <laughs> those views will unite a group of people and that will sure. be 30 to 40% of people in, in the bad years. Um, and because of the way our voting systems work, that 30 to 40 has a voting influence worth like 60 to 70 percent. And that just sucks. And so that's why the Tories are holding on to these things. But these views are over time becoming less and less popular as people realize that we need to tackle problems differently. Not only do we not have much of our landmass used and not only do we have tons of spare resources, we also in the global system that we are forced to live in, you know, free market capitalism, need population growth to continue existing. And we are not doing that by births anymore, like many other countries. No. So we we need we need people to be moving here. And some of those people are gonna be asylum seekers. And we need to help the asylum seekers the most of all. So the Tory problem is that we've got a system that is open to asylum seekers and because the vast, 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 you said 90-something percent of of asylum applications nice, are accepted, because of course they are, the Tories don't know how to stop them. Yep. They couldn't change, they can't change the asylum system to stop accepting them, because that would be also inhuman. So they're doing a different inhuman thing that, that targets uh, not individuals, or rather a boat. You know, oh, it's a boat. We must stop the boat. Uh, I don't, I don't see where they where this is going to end up with them winning. Because if they really did want to tackle illegal immigration, they would just spend good money cooperating with France and all the other countries to set up the processing centers to make the asylum process even easier, so that all of the immigration would become legal. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it would maybe it wouldn't make the number go down a lot because it wouldn't. But their goal is numbered down, so they have to do things that are illegal rather than things that help it become legal. Sure, j- just on that point, because there's, there's a again, sorry, there's so many tangents coming up here. Theresa May I'm in the making, House of I'm Commons. I'm making tons of points. I'm sorry. On yeah. Monday in the House of Commons, the former Prime Minister stood up and said, "If this bill goes through, it will drive a it was a horse and coaches through the modern slavery act." Well, it will. And said that the Home Office, and this is a quote: "The Home Office knows this bill means genuine victims of modern slavery will be denied support." So yeah. clearly, there is just as I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Some of this bill, there's got to be an element of it which is just a big old distraction. Like, hey, well, no, so yeah, let's talk about boats. <sighs> I mean, there is. They don't want to tackle illegal immigration because tackling illegal immigration is just making immigration easier or making legal immigration more accessible and easier it's expensive. and means spending more money on it. So they don't want to do that because they're Tories and they're evil. Um, Fine. But they're, they're just more evil than the previous ones who pretended they were solving it by doing nothing. Now they're pretending to solve it by, you know, making modern slavery protections not allowed or not accessible well, to Ill- illegals, which is crazy. So there was a time where Theresa May was seen as like a hardcore uh, migration critic. And now here she well, is. She was and is. And she was evil and she is. Her views were horrible as well. They're just less horrible. Right, but even if she's now standing up to yeah. saying, hold on a second, this government's bill is going to create huge problems Look where we are. Because if you look specifically at their at their plan, it includes removing access to 
slavery protections, basically. So if you are brought into the country illegally, which makes you an illegal immigrant, you will not have access to protection from slavery. But what is that going to do to help the majority of the people who, who are in the slavery here, which are people who got brought here enslaved? You know, they didn't come here freely and then become a slave in the UK. They got shipped here illegally. And this bill would make it so that it's okay that they're slaves, <laughs> you know? And the main problem is that they're here, which is awful. And it, I think their main goal with that one is just to remove responsibility from employers and stuff if they if they find if they find out that there was a slave, you know? <laughs> employers are less are less are punishable if it's not actually so bad to have slaves so long as they're illegal ones. It's 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 mind melting and Yeah. I, I, looking back over the last few years where we've been discussing Tory immigration policy, the trickle towards these things felt inevitable all along. And it is horrible to see it come into reality and be so predictable and most decent people being powerless to stop it. Um, but this is how, and I'm going to use the language of Lineker here, this is how we have things like fascism arise. It isn't all at once. Mm -hmm. And it isn't really quick, all of a sudden, there's somebody being really evil and declaring war in the world. It is yep. through this slow dehumanizing of different groups of people. For the for Germany, it was a dehumanization of uh, the Jews. It was a dehumanization of disabled people, queer groups, uh, trans people even, even back then. And, uh, you know, R Romani people, all kinds of different things. And then for us, it I guess it just isn't the Jews. The rest of that group, we're still dehumanizing, you know? We've just stopped dehumanizing Jewish people, but we're still doing it for for disabled people to many degrees. We're still doing it to uh, we're doing we're doing it migrants now, I guess. We're doing it to we're still dehumanizing trans people, queer people, uh, Romani, loads. Yeah, yeah. So it's exactly the same language. It is it is the trickle of fascism into the country, and um, I hope that this just in ten years time sounds like a crazy person doing conspiracy theories because it turned out that people had it under control all along and we fought back early and stamped it out early before it became a serious problem. But in my view, it already is a serious problem. But it's also indicative of the wider right movement, both in the UK and also in the US, if we broaden oh, yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. Because there has been, as we talked about on the show before, much more of a swing in the last few months, in the last few years, to... Essentially, uh, again, using the phrase culture war to make the culture war the talking point or the main thing that's going to get them elected. So yeah. as we talked about on the last show, whether it's in Tennessee or other states banning public drag shows, mm -hmm. uh, which yeah, could, have, of course, include a huge range of Setting things. bounties on trans people now as well. If you report somebody for being like inappropriate and cross-dressing in public, you get paid. Yeah, we, we then have had the... Oh, there was a new conservative, uh, the chairman, Lee someone, but he comes out with all these... Oh, yeah, Anderson. Lee Anderson, he comes out with the most horrendous stuff and people just kind of nod and say, yep, sounds good. He's been pictured See, yeah, with... That's, that's over here in the UK. With, yeah. He's, yeah, UK. He's been pictured with uh, a fascist yeah, neo group, neo-Nazis, and also said that the yeah. conservatives need to uh, to charge or, or to direct their next election campaign essentially at what they're doing, which is anti-migrant and anti-trans and saying that that's going to help them win. Yeah. So we are seeing this yeah. on both sides of the pond. And that is a change to what it was even, let's say, four or five years ago. It just seems like it's ramped up considerably. I go further back. Um, I know the date because in 2016 in the US, some 
influential political um, right-wing and political Christian groups decided that the next step of the culture war was to divide the the LGBT movement by being anti-trans. They, they, they pronounced this. There are speeches, there are plans. In 2016, I think and 2015 in the States, the movement began to try and divide right, right, right. Um, the, 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 the queer movement, shall we say. So to... And and believe it or not, it literally happened very quickly because over here we've suddenly got just the LGB alliance. Uh, yep. And I think now they've made it. There's there's another spinoff for just the L the L alliance. I think that might be a joke one. I hope it is where they're just even further dividing. Um. But no, it, like for 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 a decade and more, um, this wasn't really talked to. Especially trans people, they were just getting. Their rights were being accepted, even by conservative governments, because the the scientific backing was sound and it was good. And even conservative governments recognized it and made the appropriate changes uh, to respect them and to give them rights. And then some uh, right-wing political groups in the US, 2015, 2016, decided that would be the next war. And we are now in the height of what they have made. They've, they, they've decided who the target is. And in the meantime, those same groups are using the language of of, uh, of, of, of war. Like we're saying, they are using this war language, this invader language, or this uh, the, the, the extreme language along the lines of like eradicating people. Um, and it's targeting so many groups. And as, as you've said many times in the podcast, it is purely to other people, to make yeah. some people other. And not human, inhuman, which was the the Nazi thing that Nazis did. They they didn't view the Jewish people as human. They dehumanized them, and then it made all the things they did okay. Which was actually based off of uh, Jim Crow in America, trying to trying to trying to recognize the black black people as inhuman, which is based off of the slavery, which viewed black people as inhuman. Mm-hmm. You know, this goes way back. It's true, making people inhuman to to make them a an, an object to be controlled rather than a person who deserves freedom and who deserves respect. So if you're hearing these things from right-wing groups, whether it's in the UK or the US or anywhere else, and you kind of are empathizing with it and you're feeling like, yeah, those people are other to me and maybe they do need to be controlled. You're listening to the same rhetoric that's been going on for hundreds of years now that has always just ended up being stamped out, usually violently eventually, because it has been proven to be the evil rhetoric, the wrong rhetoric, the one that is used to oppress, to do massive amounts of violence and harm. And we're just hopefully going to be able to stop it this time before it ends up causing more harm than it already is because there are already people dying. There's already violence uh, geared towards migrants, there's already violence towards trans people, there still is ongoing and continuous violence towards the rest of the LGBTQIA+, all the groupings. The the violence is increasing year on year, so we've got to stop it now. And that includes not listening to the crazy people on the internet who, right. who only want power and money. They don't want what is right for the world. They don't want good things for the world. They only, they only desire power and money. Often they are just funded by some random right-wing, huge, big lobbyist group mm-hmm. or a huge big political group that's it they don't have empathy they don't have care they don't care about you so if you're listening you're listening to someone who doesn't care about you they only care about right. your wallet and your influence it's it's the one thing one characteristic which really stands out whenever i'm doom scrolling on my cursed twitter which is a total... only for a job 10 minutes per day max <laughs> It's a total lack of of empathy for people, and that's what really stands out. Whereas for me, being able to 
to well knowing people in all of these situations yeah. and seeking to understand where they're coming from what is what is it they want how can we help make their life easier yeah whereas with a lot of people and it has turned up in the last few years we've seen this with as you've talked about acts of violence uh, even january 6th was a to a degree was an element of how this has just been ratcheted up to a really nasty and dangerous narrative but that to me is the clearest way i would distinguish between these two essentially competing sides which is a lack of empathy and no, yeah. seeing seeing people as it is black and white and if you don't agree with it then tough luck you're one of the others whereas yeah i would say that from yeah. my perspective a little bit of empathy goes a long way even if i disagree with you yeah. i will attempt to understand why I know. I would say that. I would say because because it's really fun to be the uh, the almighty centrist. It, 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 there is an element of othering and a lack of empathy when it comes to um, left wing pro LGBT people having discourse on the internet. Yeah, some of those are just internet trolls. Some of them are people who are in positions of influence, and they will be spreading messages of hate, intolerance, uh, violence. You've seen it in the protests and stuff about like. Uh, guillotining turfs, I believe, yep. was was the, the specific example. So there is the dehumanization is on 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 both sides of it um, when it comes to the debate side. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to the ethics side, one end is about tolerance, the advancement of people, understanding that people are people, and giving them the rights and the freedoms they deserve. And the other side is about intolerance. And stamping down on people and taking away freedoms and mainly just giving money to rich people is always on the back end of it. Um, So when your response to people being kind and and wanting to advance humanity is a lack of empathy, I don't get it. When your response to intolerance is a lack of empathy, I kind of get it. It's kind of like righteous anger to go all biblical on this you know sometimes jesus got angry sure and he he tended to get angry at the bad people so when you get angry at the bad people i understand more than when people are getting angry at decent people who want to just advance humanity and i think we will we will come back to this quite a bit i'm thinking because oh yeah i'm still listening to jk's witch trials podcast oh really um yeah, and I think she experiences quite a lot of the dehumanizing and quite a lot of the anger and quite a lot of the danger, you know, by taking her stances. But that doesn't make her stances correct. On a lighter t- tangent, just because I talked about the lack of empathy and the fact that some of this can just get really nasty, did you see uh, Mr. Jordan Peterson, who I I actually have started to feel sorry for, Oh man, retweeted a uh, male milking fetish video because he thought it was from... Um, Chinese yeah. uh, prisons. Yeah, they were wanting to farm the semens to have a population mm. increase or something. Yeah, no. It was swiftly removed. Jorpy Borpy doesn't understand the internet and he doesn't understand his own mind. I think he needs a lot of therapy because he seems to be addicted to the Twitter likes and he seems to be addicted to to um, the outrage end of the Twitter likes and he seems to be very much addicted yep. to like approval from people like Elon or people, other influential people. Oh, we'll come back to Elon. And, and no, but and then Jordan is 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 harmfully addicted to these things to the degree where he is stoking up a lot of the anger and violence towards certain groups of people, um, and he needs help. So when he tweets out basically porn, I think it might have been a tech demo. I'm actually not sure what it was. I've seen speculations on both sides. It, it's certainly it was either milking porn or like <laughs> okay. a tech demo for 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 you know 
semen donation, you know, one or the other. It was it, it was, was bad. Either it was way. people being milked, uh, and it was very pornographic in 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 view. And he shouldn't have tweeted it to an account that is followed by a lot of minors. Jordan, we need to protect the kids from you. Um, when he tweets that, it's like it's one part hilarious, and then another part just incredibly worrying because he's got such a huge fan base of people who take him so seriously. And then this is the level of intellect. And he's influencing millions of people to have their views. Mm-hmm. He's influencing millions of what they think the, the 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 trans rights movement means. And he's influencing millions of what they think the gay rights movement means. And he, and he generally influences them to think that they're both evil because they're chaotic or something. And that influence is the same influence that, that fell for some random troll account pretending that the Chinese are milking their men in prison. It's, that's harmful. That's dangerous. Okay, let's talk about other stories which have taken place in the last couple of weeks. And I want to start with Matt Hancock, who will hopefully never be seen in this show again. And this is the story. Next week he's back. Just you wait. That more than 100,000 WhatsApp messages have been leaked by a journalist, Isabel Oakshot, who was apparently uh, sent all these messages with the idea that she was going to write Matt Hancock's biography or his memo. Yes. His memo? No, mm-hmm. his, I don't know his his book. Yeah, his book. <laughs> and instead, she thought, "Well, this is quite good material, so I'm just going to leak it to everybody." His obituary? I, I don't know. It took anyway, a long time to come up with that one. <laughs> this is this covered the the news cycle for a couple of days, and there are a variety of of points I want to make here. So, right. Uh, let's see. Number one. After congratulating the then Education Secretary on delaying the A-level exams during the pandemic. Oh, by the way, all these messages uh, messages are from the pandemic when Matt Hancock was the UK's Health Secretary. Yes. So he is congratulating in these messages Sir Gavin Williamson, Education Secretary, delaying exams for a few weeks, a shorter period than some teaching unions had called for. Yeah. Mr. Hancock called the unions a bunch of absolute arses. Mm-hmm. And Sir Gavin replied, I know they really, really do just hate work. Yes, that's what they do. They just hate work. Yeah, mm-hmm. followed up by they want an excuse to avoid having to teach. Oh, no, they're not just like, you know, in a pandemic or something reasonable like that. No, no, no. They're lazy. Indeed. We then also had messages from Boris, which were leaked in this uh, trove, saying if you are over 65, your risk of dying from COVID is probably as big as your, as your risk of falling downstairs, and we don't stop older people from using stairs. Actually, we do. We do stop older people from using stairs. We <laughs> literally install right. things to help them traverse stairs. <laughs> We also then had the news that Matt Hancock sent or got a test, a COVID test, privately couriered to Jacob Rees-Mogg's son, I believe. Yeah, the the favours for friends. Private courier. That that was the part that blew my mind. And then got the test couriered back for instant results uh, during a national shortage of these tests, which we're was all deemed in this together. a special treatment. Yes, yes, a very important special treatment because because they definitely couldn't have just waited like everybody else. Yeah, we we then have basically the, the vast majority, and there's loads of these to, uh, messages you can look up. But essentially, the overarching theme was that the government had no idea what they were doing, right? Other than 
doing favors for their friends. Yes. What did you think? Overall, none of the leaks are too surprising, right? Because we know the government had no idea what they were doing, um, aside from doing favors to their friends. Um, I would say that one of the only things I'm cautious about is that I don't really trust Oakshot as a journalist. Neither do I. To be providing, you know, like a good, uh, as uh, as before, impartial output regarding these leaks. Uh, She might have a, let's say, agenda, because... It would be very convenient for the Tories if Hancock got the blame for everything. If he was the fall guy for absolutely everything because of some leaks that happened, then all the other Tories didn't have to be the fall guy. That would be very convenient. So there are elements of this where I'm like, oh, this is confirming all of the speculations that we had about the government. But I'm worried that it is kind of just targeted towards making everybody move on okay and not blame anybody currently in the in the in vogue in government you know and only blame the likes of hancock but no it's slimy hancock slimy all his friends are slimy the entire tory organization slimy yeah essentially what we saw confirmed what was already obvious for those with a front row seat on how the uk government handled the pandemic and that's basically that there was a massive gulf between what public health experts and scientists were saying and what the government actually did. Yeah. Even as the ministers were claiming that they were yeah. following the science, if you remember that quote. Yeah, and that, that those mistakes were reflected in Scotland, oh, yeah. of course, because we just kind of did the same mistakes, but sooner. So they were smaller mistakes, I guess, <laughs> mostly. Um, and it was just that was mostly for the same reasons of just like the SNP wanted to look like they were the more competent ones. Yep. So they just made decisions quicker. Okay, talking off pandemic times, let's stick with it. MPs have said that Boris Johnson, the then Prime Minister, may have misled Parliament multiple times over Partygate. He may May have. have. He he possibly could have. This is the (laughs) Privileges Committee, which is made up of a cross-section of uh, politicians, who said it had seen evidence that strongly suggests, and that's a quote, that COVID rule breaches would have been obvious to Mr. Johnson. Oh, yeah. Mr. Johnson has said in response mm, he never that's... knowingly or recklessly misled MPs and he was confident he would be cleared by the committee. And if I have a look at this article here, I believe he is appearing at the inquiry, yeah, next week on the 22nd. So there we go. He will be questioned by the cross party committee from two o'clock on the 22nd. That is a week on Wednesday. The he may have language is one hilarious because of course he did, and he did. two understandable because you know the inquiry's not done yet. They probably don't want to sound conclusive before they've spoken to him because then he gets to claim that they were like they'd already made up their mind before they heard me speak. You know that kind of Trump kind of style of, of argument for so, sure. Yeah, like I get it. He off he obviously did. Hopefully the rest of this goes well, and they actually say something conclusive at the end. If they don't, then I guess I will complain to the BBC. Or something. <laughs> so here's the here's the the narrative, which is the reports of <laughs> gatherings within government buildings during lockdown first came out in late 2021, and on several occasions, Boris told the Commons that the rules had been followed at all times, and then later admitted that his statements were proven incorrect, even though he was there, but insisted he believed them to be true at the time. But I guess that's the, that's the difference, right? I guess it's like if I was if I was at the parties, even though he was there, um, and I was breaching the rules. Um, I could say, hey, I didn't see Boris there, even though I did. And I could say I didn't see Boris there, even though I did. And then when people go like, no, you were there and you definitely saw Boris, 
they don't know that because they don't have my eyes. They don't have right. my experience. I didn't see Boris. And Boris is like, well, I didn't see the rule breaches. Right. I guess I was wrong. Oh, it was an accident. This committee, by the way, has already received written submissions from witnesses, WhatsApp messages, documents, and photos of all the alleged yeah. gatherings. But, but uh, including the photo of his birthday where he was apparently ambushed with a cake. Oh, ambushed, yeah. But at the same time, we had the police investigation, which showed obvious like weakness in the, its methods and really easy, easily let people off with a whole bunch of stuff. We saw the, the Sue Gray, is that the name? Inquiries? Yes, I did want to ask about that, and by the way. Those obviously were a huge letdown and now relevant again, where like... It doesn't seem to matter how obvious something is. They just see they just let people collude and provide weak evidence and not say the whole thing and then get away with it. Just just on the Sugray point before we talk about the SNP. Yeah. Did you see last Should week? We talk about misplays, yeah. Right. The Labour Party announced that yeah. Sue Gray was going to take over as Sir Keir Starmer's chief of staff. So stupid. And this is the same Sue Gray who investigated so stupid. all the rule breakings and found that Mr. Johnson did, and lots of other people did break the rules yeah. as a civil servant when she was employed as one of the lead civil servants. Yeah. And now they've just given them all the ammunition that it was a stitch up yeah. because look, Sue Gray's joining Labour. She's not impartial. Look, she's Labour now. Te- like, and like from a, a PR a, perspective, it's just such a stupid move. Terrible, terrible decision. Yeah, like I obviously I think that civil servants should be allowed to work for a party. Sure, eventually if they want to, that should be okay to do. I feel like there's a time to do it, and it is not when your name over an important investigation that still feels inc- unconclusive Absolutely. is still valid, you know? Whether you, people's view on your impartiality still matters. Once it doesn't matter if you were impartial anymore, then you work for a party. Right. While it still matters, don't do it. Why are Keir and his labour so stupid? I don't get it. <laughs> I guess they were desperate? Like, I think they'll get away with it, though, because the Tories are just even more stupid, so it should be <laughs> okay. fine. Uh, One more story to get into, and that is, of course, that the voting has begun (gasps) in the SNP leadership contest to replace Nicola Sturgeon. So that will be going on for the next, uh, just short of a fortnight. And of course, the three candidates are Hamza Youssef, Kate Forbes and Ash Regan. And as we talked about before, looks like it's going to be Hamza or Kate. Right. And the result will be announced after the ballot closes on Monday 27th. So it's pretty close, actually. Wow. The party members, who, by the way, we don't know how many of them there are, yep. will be asked to rank the three candidates in order of preference. And if no candidate secures more than half the votes, yep. the person in third place will be eliminated and then so on and so forth. So And their votes will be redistributed and that's it. Yes, to me that there is a pretty clear difference in who the public would like and who the SNP membership would like. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, that's fair because the public has more more Tories in it. <laughs> more. It's true. There's not no Tories in the SNP, but there's more in the public. <laughs> right. But we have had all the heavyweights in the SNP publicly back Humza. So Deputy yes. First Minister John Swinney, Swinney yeah. I believe Stephen Flynn, who's the head of the SNP in Westminster. And uh, both of those were met by the campaign manager for Kate Forbes' campaign saying the uh, hierarchy of the SNP were panicking. Well, they probably are a wee bit. It has got nastier in the last few days of the debate. Some of the debates have been less good. I, I watched the first hustings, the private one. Okay. And it was it was it was it was okay. It was it wasn't unpleasant, you know. But no. they don't they don't manage to 
to keep things like a little bit cooperative whenever there's like on the TV, <laughs> whenever there's like a broadcaster involved, they're like, oh, looking like we're united at all as a party. No, we're a complete failure as a party. <laughs> mm, yeah, some really interesting comments. So, for example, we had... <laughs> it just doesn't make sense politically. No, we, we had Kate Forbes. The party that I've been representing for years is actually really bad. <laughs> Vote for who me. Who is the, uh, the finance secretary, still the finance secretary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who attacked... Hamza Yusuf's record in government during the debate basically said that he, he had done a really terrible job. Yeah. And uh, he replied and said that Miss Forbes, if she became leader, Scotland wouldn't become independent because of her views on same-sex marriage. I mean, yeah. And then this has been met with a lot of anger from SNP members who are basically saying, why are you please, having please this, don't do this dirty laundry airing in don't public? Don't do the Tory way. Yeah, exactly. We saw the Tories do it and we saw it not work, so... It just shows the SNP aren't super different from any other party, of course. There are degrees of of, of uh, inadequacy in all parties, and the Tories obviously are the most inadequate. Well, legitimate party. I guess Reform UK still exists. Um, and maybe the BNP still exists. I don't know. Anyway, um, so so we're just seeing that they don't have the, the intelligence to have somewhat of a call collegial debate you know we respect each other right right we've been working hard together we've got different views here and there where and um, but ultimately what matters is you know that kind of language that i'm sure you could coach them to do in a minute that somehow they haven't been coached to do it's gonna cost you four grand but sure oh, they should have done it any one of them should have <laughs> they done should, it they really should have. I, I would say oh, that just to quote you here yeah go, because go, go. it's an excellent it's an excellent quote from kate forbes uh, this is to Hamza. You were a transport minister and the trains were never on time. Oh, that's, yeah. When you were mm-hmm. justice secretary, the police were stretched to breaking point. Now as health minister, we've got record high waiting times. Which, uh, and it's so stupid. How about that? It is so stupid because, yes, and all of those reasons are underfunding UK-wide. Yep. So it shouldn't be, hey, you're to blame for this. It should be, hey, look at our record. The entire thing was tainted by uh, the Tories forcing us all into endless years of austerity and underfunding. What do we do about it? But instead, it's just like, no, you're to blame. Uh, you're to blame. The SNP is to blame. It's like, how do you misplay this heart? Are there right. any actually savvy parties in the UK? Do we think that Yusuf is going to win it? Um, I would bet against Yusuf winning. Interesting. I think he but will. But it's close. Um, I think it depends on how convincing all the MPs getting behind him are, because there's a big, in all the polls, even up till recently, there is a big don't know section it's not like four percent don't know it's like 20 percent don't know that's significant all uninspired if if those don't knows mostly listen to their mp to this to make their mind up then yusuf will probably win because he's a couple of percent ahead in the relevant polls the ones that are like smp members smp voters things like that however if the don't knows are a bit more reflective of just the normal voting and yusuf is only a little bit ahead he's not going to get majority reagan will get knocked out because somehow she's getting votes, but not many, but not not enough to be significant, but enough to to make a difference. Um, and when she gets knocked out, I'm assuming most of her votes would go, or her people who voted for her, her would have the second choice of Forbes. So that's the options: is don't knows make the difference and Yusuf wins, or don't knows don't make a difference and Forbes wins round two. If Forbes wins round one, like I'd be a bit more surprised. James Oscars have happened and much to the surprise of very few people everything everywhere all at once 
one hey. everything everywhere all at once so all at Oscars. This, come on oscars yes dominating this was first of all michelle yo the yes. first asian woman to yes. win best actress which is mad down with kate down with kate <laughs> okay yeah keep on shit on it like genuinely i you had it for the win i did michelle yo was great but yeah i think this was overall as i talk about i believe this was just like a feel good hey everybody let's help so. let's give the prizes to it i don't think so i don't think so okay well hold on I don't think hold so. on so before we got to that we had jamie lee curtis winning Best Supporting Actress, which yeah, was really surprising. That one's definitely more feel-good, okay. but the, okay. also, the argument against it was also just, oh, but it would feel good if the other one won it too. And it was like, okay, right. that's just both the same well, Jamie Lee, Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, I was less convinced by. I thought it was just, uh, hey, everyone loves her. She did not deserve it for her no. role in every, anyway. everything, everywhere, all at once. No, 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 no. no. Kehi Kwan, which was the expected win, yes. he did. <laughs> I it's nice to finally care about who's winning it. Absolutely, things. I actually was invested for the first time in decades. Well, decades. I, I was really pleased that he won. And then Brendan Fraser for the whale, as predicted. Yes, he walked away <laughs> with best actor, and the film. This was my Oscar itself. Also won best movie and best director. It did. So. It did really, really well. It may also, I think it won, maybe it was Best Screenplay. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. I think it was seven prizes in all. And it meant seven that... Seven of like nine nominations? Something like that, yeah. So it meant that yeah. a lot of other movies which were touted missed out. But the other big movie which did well was All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. Netflix's German language World War One epic, which I'm still yet to but see. But right-wing Twitter was telling us we'd definitely not win anything because it was only white men and they were right. impossible. We'd find it impossible to win at the woke Oscars. Okay. Well, anyway, it finished the night in second place. It won four... Best International Feature, Production Design, Cinematography, mm-hmm. Original Score. And, Significant uh, ones. G- Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yes. Winning Best Animated Feature. <laughs> Not a Disney film. Yeah. How about that? And also, yeah, some other no, yeah. smaller prizes for Wakanda Forever's costume design and uh, a documentary about Navalny, the Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny and the events relating oh, to his poison. Well, okay, that one, yeah, I can see why I can see why you won. Right, so why that one won. Yeah. So that was basically it. There were some jokes about uh Will Smith's slap, which that were was a, that was a pretty good joke. It dragged yeah, on a bit. Yeah, it was alright. But it did mean that the Banshees of Inishirin was, I would say, the biggest one to miss out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. because we had nominations for well, in four categories and everything none of them yeah, won. All the big ones. Yeah. So um yeah, what did you think? Okay, so overall it was delightful to me because everything, everywhere, all at once didn't feel like an Oscar movie. Nope. To the degree the other ones did. So I like sure. when those those films win. Because it was a good film. The acting was phenomenal if you consider that phenomenal acting doesn't just mean you're acting like an evil, slimy person. And in my view, the acting that was asked of people like Ki Kwan is more difficult than acting like a slimy person. I think it's oh, for sure. probably it was easier. Yeah, it's probably easier to just be a bad person for a few months on on fril- film, you know? So you're good on Kate uh, Blanchett and Taring. And and then I, I haven't seen Banshees of Venus Sharon, so I don't have a good view on what is asked of the of the of the actors, but I do know for a fact that the performances 
are from people that I have seen in many films and have loved for many years. So if they won things, they're all great. It would have felt good, basically. You know, so it felt like almost all the films winning would have felt good. There was a few that I would have opposed purely because I just I'm fed up of the Oscars being like, what was the most tragic story? You get the wins. Um, so this felt good, but it's one of the only times I've actually had like the BBC page open tracking who's winning. It's one of the only times I've been watching speeches in so long because it was it was it was the first time I was invested in, in a film or or actors to the degree that I that I that I am. Uh, and like watching uh Key go up on stage and get get like uh later on, not from his own one, but later on and getting a a, a little hug yeah. from Harrison for it. I was like, oh I felt things. It was lovely. It was lovely. There was there was a loveliness to it. And I think the Oscars just changed their, their tactic a wee bit. Last year and the years before, they tried to become like a funny show with bits and memes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then they've switched back a bit. They got all the awards back this year. They focused more on why the awards are meaningful. They made it a, a well-produced, faster show with, you know, obviously shorter speeches because Will Smith wasn't there. Um Fewer vi- less violence because Will Smith wasn't there, I guess. Um, so sure, um, it was a it was a better show, and then also it recognized films and performances. I guess aside from Brendan Fraser, who did play like the tragic story gets that Oscar performance one, but I like I just like him so much, right. and he's been blacklisted so long that it felt deserved. Um, but it was just things that I cared about sure. for a change. So I, I enjoyed this Oscars. I don't even remember anything from last year's aside from the punch and then Will Smith also winning. It, you it know? took me ages to remember who won Best Picture last year, and that is largely due to the slap. Do you remember? I, I couldn't tell you right now. It was Coda. I, oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's yep. like, that, that's the way it's been for a while. We're like a, a year on, I don't remember who won. Because it just felt like Oscar films, oh, right. obviously they won. So so to me, and Coda, I really do feel sorry for from last year because of it, it was completely overshadowed. But yeah, exactly. If you look at most Best Picture winners of the last 20 years, most of them, I would argue, were the best movie of that particular year. Most. And this most, one... yeah. Sometimes there's bad If one. I'm looking at the list, because on this list we do have the likes of Top Gun Maverick, Elvis, and Avatar... Which all had merit, but were they the best? They movie? were spectacular. No. So I'm okay with everything everywhere all at once winning because I it genuinely I thought it was fantastic. I really, really loved that film and I will watch it again. However, do I think Jamie Lee Curtis was the best supporting actress? No. No. That should have that could have gone to any of the other four. It could have. I think if you were going from Merit alone, then oh I forget her name again. G- Hong Chow. Who was the supporting actress from was it Chow from N- Everything? No, that was Ever Stephanie Su, who was the younger one. Hong Chow's in the whale. Yeah, Stephanie Su. She was great. The whale, yeah. So so if it was going for performance alone, it would be Chow or Sue, okay. right? Obviously. Or or but, sorry, or Kerry Condon in Banshees of Inner Sharon or Angela Bassett. <laughs> no. That's the no. that's the one I reject. Because based on performance alone, her in Black Panther 2, it was just acting. No, I thought it was she like, was good. Hey, you, did a, you did a job. She was good, but she wasn't Oscar winning good, much like But neither was much, this one. Well, no, because uh, Curtis was good. She didn't. She was just really good. But, she, but it wasn't Oscar worthy. Exactly. So, so the headlines are all like, "Oh, why didn't you choose the other not Oscar winning performance?" And I'm like, "Who cares? If if we're choosing between two people who didn't deserve I'm... the Oscar for their one role that they got nominated for, I don't care." Curtis Fine. deserved it just as much as a legacy award. Fine. And I'm sure Bassett will get other chances for a legacy award. She will. The the thing that I was upset at is that there are legacy awards. 
it should have gone to somebody who put in a film carrying supporting role you know and, and it's, it's it should have gone it's, like it's obviously it should have gone to somebody who acted in a in a, okay. in a major way in a film but and but neither of the headline grabbing ones were and i also feel like sorry i feel like like angela vassett her response wasn't like immediate clapping and stuff like that and people pounced on that raging at her for not immediately be like being really happy that Curtis won right. and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And I thought that was embarrassing too because obviously if you're like the expected winner and you don't win, you're allowed to be a little bit sad for a few seconds yeah. and a little bit taken aback. For sure. Anyway, just briefly for me, Kehi Kwan, absolutely give him the Oscar for that. I thought he was great. That was the one of the night. His speech That was the one of the was night. Great. That's the one I cared about the most. And I am very, very pleased for Michelle Yeoh. That being said, I still thought Kate Blanchett should have won. <laughs> So nah, you know. I don't care. I don't care. It's like it's like it's it's just the Oscar acting. Yeah, of I like, mean, who who cares? It's the Oscars. We don't. Re- it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but that's well, what I mean is I don't I don't care about like this Oscar definition of acting, which is just like serious slimy evil person or like seriously traumatized right, bad person. Enough. When we got something from Yo, which which brought in elements of so many different genres of film and executed them all, <laughs> that's challenging. <laughs> It's it's as challenging as, as being like tra- traumatized acting. Okay. You know. Let's move on. If you've got any similar or different thoughts about the Oscars, let us know. Cseparate at gmail dot com or at Cseparate on Twitter, or just let us know. Message us. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what we've been watching before we get to Amel's review. James, what have you watched? Wait, wait. The final, the final thing. The final thing. <laughs> okay. I, I, like it's it was also cool because both Fraser. And Ki Kwan, this was like their comeback year to major film. It was. Both out of major film for different reasons. One, because typecasting was a part of Hollywood for so long. The old, and uh, Ki only got the confidence to try again after he saw that maybe it wasn't anymore. So yeah. pioneering films for the last few years made this happen. And then Fraser, blacklisted for being abused and standing up to it, only getting back because of movements, social movements that made... Yep. Uh, victim victims matter more than you know sensibilities and more than keeping quiet. So these things wouldn't have happened if we as a society didn't move on from past prejudices. And also, kind of relates to earlier points in the podcast. Just saying, it does. And also, a twenty four. A twenty four won all six of the main awards. They didn't win animation, but we'll allow it. Okay. Review time. James, what have you watched? Uh, I finished The Last of Us. Interesting. Okay, my question is, because myself and Graham are yet to watch it, would you like to tell us now, spoiler-free, what you thought? Spoiler-free. Or do you want to save it? Spoiler-free. I feel like HBO should have made it three more episodes long. Interesting. They have the budget for it. I don't know why they didn't make it that long. (laughs) Okay. Spoiler-free review. Overall, the show was one of the best video game adaptations. I think there will be some people who will get no value of watching the show if they've played the game, and that's valid, and they might just be bored, okay. and that's valid. But I think overall, compared to other video game adaptations, it's insane. Overall, compared to just generally the output of TV, for the last few years, it's really good. The The effort and the money put in has paid off. Um, acting, excellent. Sets, excellent. You know, uh, The VFX, not really obviously annoying at any point. The okay, only weakness, good. as I've said before, it was sometimes the action sequences felt like train tracks. It just felt like boring to me because I, I care about that a wee bit too much, maybe. Train tracks, boring. Yeah, train tracks, boring. It's just like, it's hard to explain without spoiling um, too much, but the action sequences also just often just felt like pe- trying to make people go from point A to point B and it was contrived how they got okay. there rather than like it made sense how they got there. 
Um, was that taken from the game or was there creative license? I think a lot of the weaknesses of the show are taken from a game because a game obviously has to keep the player engaged for a very long time, which includes a lot of action and killing. That doesn't go into a TV show realistically. Sure. You cannot do the same amount of action and killing without feeling like the character is Superman, right? Yeah. Um. So trying to get from game to, to TV probably was a big hurdle. And I feel like I could have done some of it a little bit better, even me. And I know that's definitely self-aggrandizing and estimating too much of myself because it's a horrible, complex process to get these things uh, planned and shot and then made. Um, but there were elements that felt weak. However, those weaknesses were like 0.1 on the scale of quality compared to like the overall goodness, which was wonderful. It was a very well done show. Um, I, I wish they recognized that they needed a few more episodes. And I, I would have thought they'd have learned from their mistakes doing Game of Thrones that maybe sometimes it's better to overestimate than underestimate. But yeah, we'll talk about it in full once you've seen it. Okay, sounds good. Well, ML has been in touch to let us know what she thought of Dead to Me, the Netflix show. So without further ado, here she is. All right. Hi, guys. It's ML back again for a review this time of Dead to Me which is a dark comedy you can find on Netflix I actually didn't know about it and this is really just about season one of three I've only watched season one so I feel I can't in all fairness comment on the other two seasons Mm -hmm. anyway um, we see Christina Applegate in the lead playing Jen Jen's husband has died in a hit and run accident and she's this sort of bitter and determined wife grieving but also determined to find out who killed her husband a car and alongside that we have linda cardellini playing judy who's this sort of free-spirited hippie type polar opposites who end up becoming friends through this grieving group that they're both attending and i feel like i can't say too much about the plot about without giving it all away that would be terrible so i shan't but it's this sort of like untwisting of this complex story with lots of layers it's lots of fun it's very darkly funny but yeah sort of looking at what is the the weirdly funny stuff about grief and loss i like that i believe this show has been nominated for quite a few awards i and i think it's won some for me it would win the email award of (laughs) thumbs up for very good yeah um because yes it's very good what is excellent about it is the acting. My goodness, Linda Cardellini is just completely wasted being some boring Avengers wife. Yes. Because if you watch this, oh, she is flawless, like micro expressions queen. <laughs> and she's playing this really quite complex, like vulnerable, loving, but also sort of dark character. And she just absolutely nails it. Excellent comedic performance too. I just love her. What hun. I would say the writing is mostly good. Um, some of the plot it could, it feels, do with being a little tightened up. There's some details that you're kind of like, I've missed that or it's not quite uh-huh. explained or just some sloppy parts. Um, but overall good. The inter-character dialogue between Jen and Judy, again, is just brilliant. And some of those unexpected lines from Judy's characters would just completely catch you off guard and have you cackling away at something you really shouldn't cackle away at. Right. And the theme itself of sort of grief and loss, I just, I I think comedy on these kind of topics is gold. Yeah. Because there's something, I mean, it's very raw, it's very bleak, but it's also very funny. Mm -hmm. And 
explores like a, a broad range of sort of grief experiences, not just Jen's husband dying, but the grief in baby loss and Oof. parents aging in yeah. friends passing away in oh. um, affairs and divorce. So it's it's really actually a very broad exploration of the subject. And I think even, you know, all of us to some degree have experienced some form of grief and loss, even if it's quite a lot less significant than those in the shows. Um, but I think being able to relate to some of that on screen and also laugh at it is really like mm-hmm, it's quite mm-hmm. powerful. I think it's quite sort of therapeutic in a way. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, really enjoyed the exploration of the theme. Yeah. I also obviously enjoyed that this is a show of two female leads who get the vast majority of the screen uh-huh. time. Holla. <laughs> and female friendship is sort of a theme that's explored as well. And what I liked about that was that it wasn't this sort of idealistic, picture-perfect framing of female friendship that we kind of sometimes find online. But actually, it was very much capturing, in a caricatured way, obviously, the how both there's beauty and rawness and connectedness in a friendship but also a lot of really messed up parts as well and i think that sort of complexity of human beings and relationships was really nicely captured in terms of critical feedback in case they're ever looking Mm -hmm. for any (laughs) i would say some episodes and places were a little slow right and some involved a lot of crying, which is expected, of yes. course. Um, but also sometimes it's a little jarring slash boring. The two leads are white women. Right. And partly that's, I think, all right, because they are sort of exploring some of the superficiality around white feminism. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But also maybe could have done a little more thinking in terms of diversity. The worst thing that I can feedback, not their fault, is that Netflix <gasps> spoiled the ending for me because of that stupid no. preview autoplay feature that started playing for some reason. What? Episode one of season two, no. completely ruining the twist in the finale of season one. So that was terrible. I mean, bad enough, obviously, that they've got this password sharing malarkey going on, <laughs> but now they have to ruin shows for us. Just typical capitalism evil, for you. Evil yeah. corporations. Apart from that, I would say very good show. I would say if you're going through something... If you've recently suffered a loss, perhaps not one for right now. If you feel like you've yeah. got that okay. distance uh, between something traumatic in your life, you could probably watch it, have a little laugh, have a little cry and shake your fist at Netflix for ruining my life. Uh, okay, that's it. Bye. I'm a cancel. Now. I'm going to cancel Netflix now in protest. <laughs> in protest. Mine is already cancelled, but I feel like I need to... Uh, I never had it. ...resubscribe... <laughs> So I can watch all these things, particularly that show, because that sounds really good. And I'm a big fan of Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. I think when corporations um, put up random uh, uh, hurdles in accessing their material that feel unfair, I think we cross the boundary into ethical piracy. <laughs> Fair enough. FBI, okay. that was a joke. Uh, MI5? Joke. I'm not a spy. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I'm not anyway, advocating for I the tell you about of anything. Ant-Man... Quantumania. Oh, no. Which is Ant-Man 3. I'm not ready. It's so sad. I'm going to avoid giving major spoilers because this is still out in cinemas okay. if you want to see it. It's over two hours long. And what? Yep, it, I'm sure, will be on Disney Plus probably within a few months. 
one of the final movies to come out before the Marvel rejig. Yes. Where you're taking more time. So this is the movie which is meant to kick off Phase 5. I thought they did that with Loki or something. I don't know, but this is what the this is what I thought <laughs> the movie was. It certainly felt like the beginning of a new phase. Right, right. Because the yeah. only bright spark, and I do want to start with the positive, the only bright spark in this is Jonathan Majors. Yes, who of course. is the actor who, if you watch Loki the TV show, in that movie played He Who Remains, and in this movie he who is playing Kang the Conqueror. And yes. without explaining how he can be two people and two different things, you just have to watch he's it. He's not, but he is. But basically, he's a time-traveling scientist in Loki. Yes. And that is then yes. delved into why he is playing multiple people in this show. Right. And my goodness, okay. he is excellent. And I am looking forward is, yeah. to seeing him more. Finally, they didn't kill the bad guy in one film. Right. So, that besides... This film is a mess. Yes. It's a total mess, okay? Of course it is. It's got the usual, you know, like Marvel humor, and it's not very funny. Uh, in fact, it's just unfunny. Unfunny. <laughs> it used to just be, like, sometimes funny, mostly not funny. Now right. it is actively unfunny. I unlaugh. Yep. I breathe my laughs in. It's a, it's a lot of just, like, oh, okay. That was that was intended to be a oh, joke. Oh, man. <laughs> and you've got Michelle Pfeiffer and Evangeline Lilly and... The famous guy, Michael good Douglas. Actors. And, Paul, and Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd is very likable. They are. They're all actually good. But this film is missing Michael Pena <gasps> playing the role of Luis. How dare they? What a shame. Although, again, Pena in the second one did was I know. So this film, really, only go and watch it if you are a Marvel diehard and want to see where it's going next. But if you literally could care le- couldn't care less, you then see, wait till it goes on Disney+, Plus. chuck it on, and you'll realise you wasted your no, life. No, you see, I'll wait till it's on Disney, and then it will be a distinctly average film, and I will like it more than you did. You will. I'm sure you will. That's what's been happening, because I take my time, and I get over it before it happens. <laughs> set your expectations low. It is yeah. better than Thor 4, but that was the lowest bar of them all. It's just such a shame. I would say it's on a par with Doctor Strange. Two. No, in fact, it was Ooh. worse. Because I hated that more than I thought. It was worse than Doctor Strange 2 because I liked the Sam Raimi uh, nods true, throughout true. the movie. I did like their self-referential comic book style stuff. Whereas here, it's just, it, the whole movie's just a mess and Jonathan Majors is okay. the only saving okay. grace. So yeah, Ant-Man Quantumania. It's just Don't no watch surprise it. anymore. And it's a shame because we knew that Burnout and overexposure was a potential thing even from early on in the Marvel champion days and then they did it anyway and they kept making more things every year anyway and they kept making them worse anyway because they figured that output is more important than quality yep why are they so predictable but now they've realized hopefully because Marvel are saying they're going to have fewer shows and films every year now and they're going to focus more on quality and structure and the overall plans rather than just output, output, output. We will see. Okay, penultimately for this episode, because time is gone, Twitter Chief Exec Elon Musk has apologized uh, 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 for being an Over ass. an exchange he had on the platform with an employee. Did you see this? Yeah. Man, right. what an embarrassing guy he is. So it came after the after employee Hallie Thor Lifeson, who, by the way, was recently voted Iceland's like best person yeah he was like person of the year right in Iceland yeah he tweeted Mr. Musk to say your head of HR is unable to confirm if I am employed or not 
Right. And Mr. Musk responded by asking, what work are you doing? And what Basically. followed was a series of follow-up questions where Mr. Thorlifeson then... Increasingly disrespectful. For sure. And then Mr. Thorlifeson confirmed he had since been fired. Uh, Mr. Musk called him the worst in one of these tweets. Yes, Then the deleted worst. it. Yes. And in an apparent change of heart, he then, Mr. Musk, took to the platform hours later to apologize and offered him his job back. Oh, we had a call because communicating on Twitter is bad, said the owner of Twitter. Yeah, uh, (laughs) to to quote him, the quote was, he's the worst. Sorry. Oh, man. So. Now, the the big part of the story is that he had a job at Twitter because Twitter bought his tech startup. Halley was a, is a... Uh, what, what is, he's disabled. He's I forget got, what he's, he's got. So he's, Mr. He's, yeah, Halley here, he's got muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy, Has right, campaigned so, in Iceland for better wheelchair access. I think he's having 3,000 ramps installed across the country. He is personally putting his money that he makes from Twitter and other ventures towards installing Correct. wheelchair ramps across the country. Um, when Twitter bought his company, he got offered all the money at once or a job, basically, a salary. And he recognized that if he takes a salary he can put more money towards things himself. And he did that. So he was guaranteed that salary or if he got fired or got on like, or quit, he would get the money that he was promised. So when Elon, without even checking of anybody, why this guy had a job fired him, uh, he immediately owed, owed him like hundreds of millions for the rest of the promised money that that Twitter owed him for buying his company as a startup. And and he sold his company, I'm sure, mostly, not just because obviously it's a smart thing to do if you want to make money, because he's recognizing that he doesn't have the same quality of life expectancy as everybody else. And selling now is the best thing for him and his family. I think he he expressed that. Um, He's explaining that he can't type very much and he he prefers to use a phone because he only has to use a thumb that way and, and all these things. And it's just another exposure of Elon as somebody who decides that he knows everything before even double-checking if he knows anything. Okay, well, on that cheery note, one final story, Star Wars things. James, tell hey, me about this, because it looks like The Mandalorian's it's similar to Marvel. happening, right? Or Season three's just happened. Yeah, Mandalorian, yeah, no, so Bad Batch Season 2 is occurring. Season 3 of Mandalorian is occurring. Both, I am pleased to report, I am enjoying at least a little, to a lot. Um, <laughs> nice. However, overall, Star Wars future plans are doing the Marvel route. If they've recognized that maybe output, output, output isn't the answer. How about that? Um, so they're shifting gears. Um, and some projects that were in the works have been put on the shelf. Um, they're bringing in different people to maybe start other projects. They're they're they're, they're planning a Taika Waititi film still, and he's maybe going to start in it. Okay. Um, who did Wonder Woman? Patty Jenkins. I think her project is being shelved. Uh, and other projects, film and TV, are also being shelved. Um, so I think Star Wars is doing the same thing as Marvel in like changing their focus because they're recognizing that burnout is yep. really happening very quickly in the in the online media era of film and TV. And just because it's easier to watch doesn't mean that they should be making more. Absolutely. And hopefully, hopefully it's effective because so many of the of the Star Wars shows have just been rushed and not good. And then Andor came out and it made us realize, oh wait. There can be production quality in Star Wars. Let's have more of this. So I hope that they lean in towards more Andor stuff and less into the rushed Kenobi type stuff, even though I love it all because it's just I'm a Star Wars fan and I'm going to like it all anyway, even if I complain very loudly. Um, However, question, Colin, what do you think? If I had to ask you right now what the next Star Wars film to come out is, could you name it? I wouldn't have been able to name it until about 30 seconds ago when I read it on the running order. (laughs) Exactly. 
That's mad. That, yeah, that I didn't even think about that. I, I couldn't tell you. It was the same for me. I, I didn't realize until I read the plans that I did not know their next installment. That's how in the air things have been for Star Wars well, as far as films it, go since they didn't handle the sequel trilogy very well. Correct. Because of what happened with The Rise of Skywalker, clearly they've all just been like, all right, we don't want to touch this. And every time they try and move it forward, they think, nope, that's a terrible idea. Back in the box. Yeah. Let's ignore it. And it's been so long and we still don't, well, we still until now didn't know the next apparent apparent flagship film yep. for the for the for the uh ip which is which you know pretty, pretty huge and hopefully they take their time and make it well Please. okay well we are talking of making it well and taking their time oh this we're at the end of the show enjoy have we enjoyed the chair episode <laughs> james thank you for your time once again dear listener get in touch with us let us know what you think that is all we have time for and we'll see you next time on Star Wars, the yep. future awaits. I can tolerate bad Star Wars shows. I cannot tolerate intolerance. That's me. <laughs> I'm done. Bang. Right. Tagline. Slogan. <laughs> no, it's a terrible tagline. <laughs> I'm going to put it on my Twitter. It's so cringe. That's terrible. I love it. Nice. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>